Section three of the Sainted Queens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sainted Queens by Unknown Saint Margaret of Scotland. Chapter three. Barbara's condition of the Scotch. Queen Margaret's prayers, charities, and love of mortification. She obtains justice for the poor and redeems many English captives taken in war. Pilgrimage to St. Andrews. Scotland at that time must be considered as having scarcely begun to emerge from a state of barbarism. We speak of it as a kingdom because its crown was independent, but its population probably did not equal half the modern population of Glasgow. Whole districts were occupied by morasses, by swamps, and by unproductive forests the work of ninian of palatius and of columba to which it owed its christianity was not indeed wholly destroyed but it had suffered cruelly from the incursions of danish and norwegian pirates and from the fierce passions of rival races within the country itself an improvement had followed the union of its northern and southern inhabitants under kenneth macleban in the previous century Yet it is impossible to doubt that when young Malcolm returned from exile to take possession of his inheritance, he arrived among a people who had nearly everything to learn of the humanizing arts of peace. War and the chase and a rude kind of husbandry were too probably the extent of their attainments. Many of the older monasteries had perished by foreign invasion. The voice of religion could only make itself feebly heard amidst the bloody feuds of the clans and the more terrible assaults of their english neighbours indeed it is hardly a matter of doubt whether malcolm himself was much superior in cultivation to the rude serfs and barons who looked up to him as their sovereign the arrival of the princess margaret with her retinue and his choice of her for his queen were events of the very highest importance in the results on the late history of the scottish nation its civilization may be assumed to date from the occurrence of those fortunate events. If polished manners were anything to be found at that day, Margaret must have acquired them at the court of Stephen, and her mother could not fail to have been familiar with them at the court of the emperor. Several of the Hungarian and of the Norman nobility also became domesticated in Scotland, in the retinue of the Princess Margaret and of her mother, and it is probable that their cultivation must have been a little in advance of the native scotch but the civilization which took its rise in scotland in the reign of queen margaret was eminently of a christian kind it differed essentially from the artificial refinement of pagan nations in this that religion was acknowledged as its foundation the queen herself was a model of every virtue her first care was to purify her own conscience and secure the divine blessing on her plans for the improvement of her people by living a holy life she made choice of a prudent counsellor in matters relating to her soul in a benedictine monk of the name of turgot who was afterwards prior of durham and finally bishop of st andrews with him she concerted her plans for making her high position advantageous to the people of scotland it was he who directed her in the exercises of piety and devotion in which she spent a great portion of her time there are numbers of good people in the world who have no conception of the pleasure it gives holy persons to pass a long time in prayer and in the praises of god 
hence it is a common mistake to suppose that this show of devotion is made for a purpose or that historians and panegyrists have made much more of it than is at all consistent with the truth but it generally happens that some proof of the reality of a saint's devotion is furnished by other and more attractive parts of his life in the case of saint margaret although her daily prayers were long her works of charity and of self-denial were arduous and such works are accomplished only by hands that are every day stretched to heaven for greater strength than belongs to our feeble nature prayer was so sweet to her that she grudged spending all the night in sleep she often rose ere it was day to unite her praise with the worship of those heavenly choirs where there is no night the psalter was an especial favorite with her she recited the whole of it with many tears every day there are few days indeed in the life of any one in which the changing moods of the human spirit are not reflected in the language of those inspired poems st margaret never omitted being present every morning at the holy sacrifice of the mass she generally found time to hear several masses before engaging in the business of the day although books were a rare and expensive luxury in those days the queen contrived to procure a few of them for her spiritual reading we are told in particular of a beautiful copy of the gospels which she valued very highly and carried with her wherever she went it was ornamented with gold and colors and the capital letters were exquisitely illuminated the king her husband was unable to read but she inspired him with so much interest in all her pursuits that he often looked into her prayer books and the rest of her little library the rough man would even kiss a book of which he perceived the queen to be very fond and sometimes he would give an order to have it bound handsomely for her use as a consequence of the queen's love of pious reading she enjoyed conversing on religious subjects with some of her clergy proposing questions for their solution and often astonishing them with the depth and originality of her own thoughts to this extraordinary love of prayer and of pious reading she united a penitential tone of mind which prompted her to afflict her body with fasting even beyond the rule imposed by the church for example she prepared for the festival of our lord's nativity by a fast of forty days just as the church prepares for the festival of his resurrection by the fast of lent the constant feebleness of her health might very well have excused her from duties of this kind even from such as were obligations but her resolute will carried her through the performance of more than was required her repasts too were strictly in accordance with the same spirit of penitence they were poor and spare and barely sufficient to sustain nature without gratifying her appetite unhappily the experiences of daily life goes to show that the practice of the severer virtues such as these does not necessarily promote among ordinary christians the growth of the gentler and more amiable features of character human nature is so imperfect among good people even that we find every day censorious habits suspicious tempers irritable feelings combined with a rigid performance of the severest duties of religion but st margaret like all the saints kept her heart soft and tender by acts of mercy to the poor members of jesus christ to wait on poor persons at table to wash their feet and to send them away with a liberal alms was a part of her daily occupation during lent and advent their numbers were very considerably increased 
her charity especially overflowed towards widows and poor orphan children and she provided places where the indigent sick might be taken care of and where she waited on them in person as if in them she saw her divine lord and master visibly represented the expense incurred by all this daily outlay sometimes exceeded the means at her command when that happened she thought nothing of selling her own jewels and ornaments and with the king's permission she now and then drew on the public treasury for sums of money which drained it of every farthing in that rude age it was often impossible for the poor to obtain justice in their disputes between man and man their hardships in this respect did not escape the attention of the tender-hearted queen she made herself the channel of appeal for them to the royal ear she sat in public places to hear their grievances and inform herself about the merits of their cause in a field about a mile from dunferline on the road to queen's ferry the county maps of last century used to show the position of a stone called st margaret's stone on which she was alleged by a constant tradition to have sat while she held those rude courts of appeal the poorest could always obtain readier access to her there than in the interior of her palace the stone itself was still to be seen sixty years ago and probably more recently still we do not know whether it may not remain to this day another form of mercy to which the charity of the queen disposed her belonged especially to the circumstances of that age wars between the english and the scottish nations were very frequent the hospitable welcome given by malcolm to the refugees from the english court provoked the hostility of the conqueror and brought an army across the border of the kingdoms from time to time hostilities were renewed with varying success on either side and as a consequence of this disturbed state of the country scotland contained many english prisoners of war who became virtually the slaves of their captors the queen employed commissioners to travel over the country and observe which of those unhappy captives were subjected to the severest treatment when her commissioners had made their report she sent them down again with money to purchase the freedom of her suffering countrymen st andrews was then a place of great resort for pilgrims and many of them were poor people who suffered great hardships both in their passage across the frith of forth and when they reached the shore either in going or in returning the queen in consequence erected houses for the reception on the shores of the frith where they were provided at her expense with everything that they required she also maintained a service of ferry-boats for the gratuitous transport of poor pilgrims to the shrine of the apostle and back again to their own homes End of chapter three of saint margaret of scotland end of section three